Welcome to Eczema Breakthroughs, brought to you by Global Parents for Eczema Research, or Cheaper. This show features conversations between parents of children with eczema and the world's leading scientists and researchers who study eczema. Global Parents for Eczema Research is an international network of parents that advocates for better treatments and management options for children with eczema. Jeeper is led and comprised of parents of children with eczema and was formed in 2015 to address the critical need for research that answers questions of importance to patients and families. Learn more about Jeeper and subscribe to the Eczema Breakthrough Podcast at parentsforeczemaresearch.org. Welcome, everybody, to this edition of the Eczema Breakthroughs podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about medical care and treatments for people with eczema and whether or not they are meeting the needs of patients and families. We hear stories from patients about struggles in finding treatments that work and medical care that sometimes leaves them on their own in the wilderness, as it were, to figure out the daunting task of getting eczema under control with limited support and guidance. But beyond these stories, what's going on for patients and how are they faring in different countries in this regard? We're going to be talking about research today conducted by a global collaborative of patient organizations called the Global Initiative to Improve Eczema Care. This initiative is hosted by our organization, Global Parents for Eczema Research, and it includes 10 other patient organizations from around the world. It's really a first-of-its-kind collaboration, I think, between patient organizations. And what's cool about this initiative is that it takes a step back and asks, okay, what are the aspects of treatment that matter to patients with eczema? And can we measure those to see how we're doing and meeting their needs in these different countries? These 11 patient organizations from the eight countries got together to define the elements of healthcare provision that matter most to patients and caregivers and develop indicators or a report card to measure them using a global survey and secondary data collection. The measures cover things like treatment satisfaction, medical care delivery, control of symptoms, burden of the condition, patient education, shared decision-making, and access to specialists and treatments. The countries that are included in this initiative include the United Kingdom, the United States, Germany, Denmark, France, Italy, Canada, and Australia. And you can view our measure dashboard at improveeczemacare.com. So with us today are patient leaders who are part of this initiative, along with Global Parents for Eczema Research, and they are Rachel Mannion from the Canadian Skin Patient Alliance in Canada, Andrew Proctor from the National Eczema Society in the United Kingdom, and Cheryl Talent from the Eczema Association of Australasia in Australia. So Rachel, Andrew, and Cheryl, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Hello there. Well, great. Why don't we get started talking a little bit about why you got involved in this project and why do you think the work is important? Why is it even needed in the first place? Well, I was aware that there are a number of different measures and scales to assess someone's eczema severity, but these were designed and developed by researchers for research work. And I didn't know if they fully reflected the concerns and worries of people with eczema. And this was just a fantastic opportunity to test that out and just to find out why. And I was also curious to understand what was happening in different countries to see if there was a difference in how people were faring and then to take that learning and try and improve things in the UK. I was very interested in seeing how other patient organisations helped out with these type of initiatives. And it was wonderful that Global Parents for Eczema Research actually put together this board invited all these patients to have a chat about how things are done in other countries. And it 
really opens you up to how things can be improved in your own country. Yeah, I agree. This was a really innovative initiative to bring together like-minded organizations and talk about what really matters to the people that we're serving. In Canada, we have a really inclusive healthcare system, but there's all kinds of bumps and hiccups and gaps. And projects like this are really instrumental for organizations like ours to help articulate what is missing for patients. Why are patients not doing well, despite having an inclusive healthcare system, despite having pretty robust access to treatments so far? There's actually a lot of stigma against people who live with eczema. Many people are most familiar with eczema as a condition that is mild in nature, that people grow out of in childhood. And so when we're talking to policymakers and decision makers in Canada, it really appears to be this sort of image of eczema that overshadows the conversation. And so being able to drill down on what's happening for patients and caregivers across a bunch of different countries, especially those who live with moderate and severe forms of the disease, is really critical in us being able to challenge that picture when asked to make really important decisions about who gets access to what here. Yeah, thank you for those comments. What I hear some of you saying is that it's an opportunity to both look at how you're doing as a country vis-a-vis other comparable developed countries, but also to share ideas on how to do things better. And so there's this sort of quality improvement aspect of it that could be useful. I want to touch on something that you said, Rachel, though, because I do think it's an issue, and we certainly saw it in the data, was that the experience of living with moderate to severe is really quite different than living with mild. And across our indicators, we saw that things were much worse for the more severe population. We fielded a global survey in these eight countries and have almost 3,500 responses. So we have a pretty good view of what's happening for patients worldwide. You've all seen the results. I'm curious what stuck out for you the most when you looked at what we found with these different measures. There were two things that really stuck out for me. In Canada, there can be a really difficult path to getting an appointment with a dermatologist, being able to access that specialty care that is so critical for patients. And the results of this international work really clarified for us not only part of the reason why people are having such difficult times accessing dermatologists, but also that Canada is really out of step with what's happening in comparable countries. So that's really useful information for us as we start thinking through how to tackle access to dermatology for patients across Canada. The other thing that surprised me and really saddened me was the measure about how much life people would trade off in order to have better quality of life living with eczema. And it made me feel really sad to see such high numbers that people would be willing to give up of their time on the planet in order to be more comfortable. Those really struck me. Yeah. And and just to pick up on what Rachel said, I think you're referring to our health-related quality of life measure, which essentially asks people what percentage of their lifespan they would be willing to give up for better health. And we saw among adult patients, 20% was the answer, which is really significant and I think points to the unmet needs in this population. I don't think enough credit is given to the absolute emotional and um, mental discomfort suffered by eczema patients still globally. We don't take this disease seriously enough. Certainly in Australia, it's often quite dismissed as just a rash, go and put a cream on it. And we did find that when there's a lot more patient participation in care, there seems to be much better outcomes. 
So this is something I think that really needs to be adopted globally. And that was one of the great things that I found out. Plus, of course, the people that would like to reduce their life if they had more quality of life. So it makes me really sad as a patient leader that we still have these big gaps in our system and we need to really address them. Yeah. And I think you raised an interesting insight that came from this data, which was when we looked at something like shared decision-making. So are patients being involved in decisions about treatment and care when they go into the doctor or have interactions with the medical system. We found with our data that if they did, they were more likely to have control of eczema. Patients I speak to, when they find a really caring, tuned in specialist or doctor that is really committed to them being involved in their own care, they do get much better results, but there's not enough of it. So we need to improve that quite dramatically worldwide. Yes, it was helpful to see a guidepost or a light at the end of the tunnel for where we should be headed with this data as well. Andrew, what stuck out for you? Yeah, there's a number of things stuck out actually, but particularly the quality of life measure, obviously. And I think the results wouldn't be surprising to many people with excellent caregivers, frankly, who live the reality of a very difficult time trying to manage and control their eczema. And the physical impacts, the pain and the discomfort from inflamed skin are hard enough, but the mental health impacts are often harder and they often go under the surface. And I try and describe eczema as an iceberg condition to a lot of people because what people see on the surface is some inflamed skin and it looks like a minor complaint, but the reality of the underlying impacts on so many things, I can't tell you how many people struggle with sleep and how that impacts on your ability to concentrate and function. And those are the sorts of things that are just not really addressed properly. These things did come out in the survey, and I think that was really important to have the opportunity to prevent those. Right. And I I thank you for bringing that up because I think it is really important when we looked at the health-related quality of life impacts of eczema, we found those detriments that we were talking about earlier are really driven by the two things that you just brought up, the pain and the discomfort and the mental health impacts. And those are really the aspects of this condition that are reducing quality of life. Those two areas are so prominent with this disease that they're really accounting for that big detriment in health-related quality of life that we saw resulting in patients being okay with shortening their own lifespan in order to get relief from those things. So it is a really, I think, profound kind of statement. That really highlighted for me how essential it is to treat the underlying causes of eczema rather than managing the symptoms. Until we're able to treat what is driving this disease and the wide variety of symptoms that people experience, we're really encouraging them to chase the pain and to deal with all kinds of significant mental health impacts like anxiety and depression in a way that is not as efficient, is not as useful for them. There's a whole bunch of treatments coming soon for atopic dermatitis. And it's really critical that we support access to those treatments that make the most sense for patients. Otherwise, we're asking people to continue on this hamster wheel of managing symptoms and dealing with the impacts of all of those. Yeah. And we did look at treatment satisfaction in the survey. One of the things we found is pretty low treatment satisfaction for the more moderate to severe patients in particular. Real challenges with getting symptom control with existing treatments This is a point in time survey that is changing quickly as new, more effective and safer treatments come on the market. But we do see a big gap at the moment from this data in terms of 
treatment satisfaction and the degree to which people are able to get eczema control with existing treatments. Atopic eczema is one of those problematic diseases that actually causes its own stress. When people go into a flare, they get very stressed. The worse the stress becomes, the more it promotes the flare. So until we really attack this disease on a real base level, we need to work out ways of how we can do that. And this whole initiative really highlighted those aspects very clearly. Yes, really good point. And I think for a long time, people with moderate to severe eczema have really struggled. There haven't been enough effective treatment options and the ones that were did have some side effects and some safety issues, concerns. And that patient group has been really struggling. You've tried your hardest and you've done everything you were told to and so on, and you're just worn out with it. That's why these new treatments are really important, as others have said, and to get access to those is so important for a patient group that has been really struggling for such a long time. Yeah, absolutely. And definitely the moderate to severe because they've been treated the same as the mild. And it's not a mild condition. It's your whole body and you need a different approach where oftentimes the customary ones just don't work. So they're particularly desperate. We definitely see that in our data, really much lower satisfaction in that group much lower control, higher health-related quality of life reductions. So it was for sure borne out in the data. And that type of desperation where you see people taking extreme measures makes sense. I thought it was also interesting that there wasn't a great deal of difference across the countries in terms of treatment availability. But we know that can look really different internally in different countries. I know in Canada, it really depends where you live and what kind of insurance you have access to, to be able to afford things. And so we know that not being able to access treatments and proper moisturizers, not being able to afford those at the rate and in the volume that's needed, it can be really problematic for folks. And I know we had some data on financial burden on people. With the results in Canada, despite the fact that we have a universal healthcare system covered through our taxes, we still saw a surprising degree of financial worry. And I think it will be really interesting for us to understand in our own respective countries what drives that worry and really start to understand what it is that is causing people to make those trade-offs between buying less essential supplies like food and when they're going to have to use their savings and how they're going to balance all of these demands. Good points. Let's talk a little bit about the financial burden because I think that data was quite interesting. And we asked participants in our survey whether they were using savings, borrowing money, spending less on essentials like food or non-essentials because of the financial costs associated with eczema. And we were a little surprised by these results. And we saw in Australia, upwards of 45% of respondents saying they're using savings to pay for their eczema care, which is really quite high. And then in the US, also really quite high. We see people borrowing money in order to afford these eczema treatments that perhaps aren't covered by insurance. So there's a fair amount of spending going on here. When we look at worry associated with that spending, The U.S. is a bit of an outlier, and as an organization based in the U.S., we know that's in part due to how we pay for healthcare, which a significant proportion of it is shifted onto patients and families than in the other countries. Cheryl, maybe you could talk a little bit about Australia. It's quite different in Australia. We don't have systems like the NHS in the U.K. that people can get moisturizers and their treatment creams through. In Australia, we have a system where you can get health assistance with your medications, but all the things like moisturisers, any extra treatments, dermatology access, we get a small rebate through our health system. 
but everything else is out of pocket. So conservatively for Australian parents, having a child with eczema is one of the most expensive diseases. I know it's not life-threatening eczema, but it's life overtaking. If you have a child with eczema, your whole life is consumed by treatments and looking after this child. Whereas if you have a child with diabetes or cancer, there's a lot of government assistance. With eczema, we don't have the same sort of assistance and it's very expensive. So really the burden of finances is up to the parents. Getting access to a dermatologist can be problematic depending on where you live. So we really need to address a lot of these things in Australia and put better measures in place and give people a bit more assistance. Yeah, that clearly came out in the data. And one thing I wanted to add that is universal to all countries is that putting aside medical treatment costs and medical care costs, there's something else going on here, which is when the eczema is not well controlled, parents need to change their work arrangements. They can't function during the day without sleep. They have a special needs child and you just can't pursue a career maybe that you would have before an eczema child came into your life that just requires that much work and that much time. So we see this one-two punch here of not only are there costs associated with eczema, but families have to change their work situations to go part-time or perhaps leave the workforce. And those two things combined really changed the financial trajectory of the family. And that's actually data that was borne out in a study that we just did on life decisions of caregivers, where we had 300 responses from caregivers and we saw these profound impacts on life decisions over time. So I just bring that up because it's not just spending on medical care and treatment. There's this broader picture on the family going on. Absolutely. It has has an impact on other areas. It's very sad for those people. We need to help them more if we possibly can. And building on that, actually, often you have to spend more on clothing to make sure that it's eczema friendly. You're washing more. All those things that take time and money, actually, and add up, particularly for families. People don't perceive that as a medical cost. That's just a life cost. But actually, it has a profound effect on the trajectory of the family, as you say, Corey. I think that also as the children grow and become adults, so important considerations there in terms of the kinds of schooling that they're going to attempt if they're not still not sleeping well. So I think it's also important to recognize that significant diseases like eczema, especially in the moderate to severe form, can have a really important impact on people's life choices and a lot of follow-on impacts as people do grow up with significant diseases like this one. Yeah, very true for both caregivers and patients. So one of the things that we tried to do with this work is also look at some bright spots. If care and treatments aren't necessarily meeting the needs of people with eczema right now, how could that be improved? And a couple of things that we looked at was patient education. This is a complex condition that requires a lot of ongoing management and care outside of the clinical setting. And yet, by and large, patients with eczema are not receiving that support and robust education that they need to handle this condition. So we wanted to look at the degree to which patients report receiving patient education in general. But then we also asked, is that patient education robust in the form of what we would describe as an eczema school? So six or more hours outside of the clinical visit. And by and large, we found patients are not receiving patient education. We found some variation across countries. Interestingly, it seemed to be a little bit higher in North America than in Europe. So there's a potential for patient education to help bridge this gap. And we did find an association between eczema control and satisfaction in patient education, which was interesting. 
The second area that we looked at was shared decision-making. Are patients and caregivers involved in their own care? Are they asked about their priorities? And do those priorities get incorporated into the treatment plan that they then receive? We saw, again, some variations between countries with this measure, and we also saw an association between shared decision-making and eczema control. So there is this correlation with improved outcomes. So I thought that was a really interesting finding that, in fact, it's not just philosophical or window dressing to say these things are important. In fact, they do seem to be associated with better outcomes and better control of symptoms. So I wondered if you all could comment on that and maybe any reflections from your countries on how those findings could be used in your countries to improve care for people with eczema. I know that there's few and far eczema clinics in Australia, but the people that do attend these eczema clinics, and they're mainly for children, they do seem to get much better results. They get a lot more personalised and tailored programs. And also those patients that work well with their health practitioners get better results too. But it's not widespread enough, of course. And I think we're all a bit envious of Germany that has an eczema school that patients can go to, which would be wonderful if every country could have their own eczema schools. So that's something to strive for the future. But I think the outlook is positive because just getting together as a group like we have means that we are starting to look towards future solutions. And we now have this opportunity to work together, pick the brains, if you like, of other organisations and really get some insight into what laps there are. And that's why this data was so important. I think in the UK, doctors and other healthcare professionals just don't have enough time to explain what's needed to people. The consultation times are short and most people don't ever get to see a dermatologist. They're cared for by their general practitioner. And I think there is a limit to how much information can be conveyed during those consultations. And it's a challenge to understand the complexities of a complex inflammatory condition like eczema with the different treatment approaches. And you've got to navigate all that as well as how to get through the healthcare system to get the best out of your doctors and other healthcare professionals. And it's really difficult. And we have very little formal patient education in the UK. We speak to a lot of people who just don't have the basic grasp of how to use a emollients effectively and how to apply steroid creams to, to manage flare-ups. So basic things like that, that people just don't understand. If you don't have those basics, then everything else just must seem very hard. Rachel, were you going to talk to? I was. Thank you. I, I really appreciate Cheryl and Andrew's points about the importance of supporting people when they leave the doctor's office. Living with eczema is a full-time job. And it's something that the results of this work really highlighted. You talked about shared decision-making, Corey. We're working on a self-empowerment toolkit at the CSPA that's for all skin conditions. Uh, and that's that will include some prompting questions so that when people go in to have those conversations with their medical professionals, they're able to convey some of the things that, that are really impacting them to set themselves up for a really good conversation with their dermatologist or their other healthcare provider. I think it would be brilliant if every doctor is able to start the consultation with a question saying, what do you want to achieve from this consultation today? Because so so often um, a doctor will just jump into assessing symptoms and thinking about treatments and, and they're already writing out the prescription before you've almost sat down. So so I think to, to check on those assumptions is really important because it could well be that someone's struggling with their sleep and that's the most important thing for them at that time. But if you don't ask the question, then then often sometimes patients don't feel empowered or confident enough to, to kind of ask that. So that's the one thing that every doctor could do, frankly. I think that would make a massive difference. 
So true. As you mentioned earlier, this condition is often misconceived to be a rash. And like you said, the visible signs are really just the tip of the iceberg. So you can't really just look at someone and know what's going on with their eczema. It does require taking that time. It does require asking questions. And I just keep coming back to that. This is not a baby rash. This is not something that we can just quickly apply an ointment to and solve, particularly in the more moderate to severe cases. These patients need time with people who know how to treat eczema with specialists. They need time with providers and they need time with support services and patient education and so on in order to be successful in managing this condition. So very much agree with that. I also just want to add as a final thought is that we can do better for these patients. We can. And the time is now. This unmet need, this poorly controlled eczema, this huge detriment to quality of life for these people has been going on too long and it's time to do better. So I think one great thing about this project is we started to look at some ways that we can make those changes now to start to have an impact for these patients so that this picture looks different in three to five years. And thank goodness we're in a new era of treatment where we can get symptoms under control. But there's another aspect here, which is really rethinking how we approach care for eczema, not in an acute way where we just look at what's visibly there and try to make that go away, but really understand the full impacts for these patients and families. Those are some parting thoughts. And do any of you have more to add to that or some different ideas? When you have eczema, you have to be your own detective. Unfortunately, You have to take control of your eczema, but we need to empower patients and give them more tools to work with. So that's why this initiative was so wonderful, because it really opened my eyes up about some different um, things we could be doing. Eczema patients are really hardworking patients who battle a lot of demons. So my hat's off to them and we can do more for them. Cheryl, I think that that's so well said. And one of the things that I love about this project is the focus on what these barriers are to making sure that people have good access to optimal care, treatments that are safe and really effective for them. We ask a lot of eczema patients in terms of how much of their time, their energy, their resources are required to manage this disease. And one of the things that I find so inspiring about this is the ability for us to look at some of these systemic problems. I'm looking forward to taking the results of this really important project into context in Canada, thinking through what we can do to improve access to dermatologists, having the the solidarity with all of the groups, with Andrew's and Cheryl's groups, yours, Corey, and all the others involved in this is really meaningful. And I just want to thank you again for starting this project and for asking these important questions. Thanks, Rachel. Andy, any parting thoughts? Yeah, no, I think um, people with eczema just are fantastic at coping with such difficult circumstances and symptoms and often just get on with it. I think it's fantastic to have these international comparisons and insights and support as well, because that just builds the case for why we need to do more. And obviously gives an opportunity to understand what works well elsewhere as well that we can bring to our own countries as well. So it's been a fantastic international collaboration and a really positive initiative. Terrific. I want to thank you all for joining our podcast today. What an articulate and insightful bunch and look forward to what you're all going to do with this interesting data in your own countries and together with this collaborative. So with that, a final thank you. You've been listening to the Eczema Breakthrough Podcast. To learn more and join Global Parents for Eczema Research or to subscribe to this podcast, please visit us at parentsforeczemaresearch.org. 
And if you enjoy our podcast, consider supporting it with a tax-deductible donation through our website. We depend on listeners like you to keep producing high-quality, science-based episodes. Thank you, and we'll see you next time on the Eczema Breakthrough Podcast.